0: Okay, great. I'm Brian Bellendorf. I'm executive director of Hyperledger, which is a collaborative project hosted by the Linux Foundation.
1: Okay, and what is Hyperledger? I mean, anyone who's had any kind of interaction with certain technologies might have a rough idea, but what would you describe Hyperledger as?
0: So there's this exciting new world of distributed ledgers and smart contracts, which is the technology that underpins uh, some of the cryptocurrencies out there, such as Bitcoin or Ethereum. But there's a lot of different approaches to it. It's kind of like a, a, a hybrid of a database and a and a and a peer-to-peer network that is pretty new. It's pretty novel. It's something we haven't seen before, and it's a way to build uh, systems of records, meaning you know the the, the core uh, a transaction log uh, for a network of participants in a way that is immutable. That it way is uh, has validation logic, in a way that allows you to embed governance principles directly into code, and is applicable to everything from uh, uh, land titles and uh, refugee identities to core banking systems to uh, uh, a lot of how you know it, economies and industries work. So at Hyperledger, what we're doing is building the building blocks for those kinds of networks, Um, uh, the different approaches to building such a distributed ledger. There's because there's different ways you might do it, just like differences between different kinds of databases out there. Uh, And then the smart contract languages are also programming languages and, and runtime environments, but they can look very different. From what we typically been working with before, so it's core building blocks for those kinds of things, as well as uh, there's a project on identity, there's another on kind of a graphical interface for building these uh, environments, blockchain environments. So uh, lots of different efforts. It's an open source project. It's an umbrella. Uh, it's 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 all that, uh, and it's a lot of fun.
1: So before we come back to the technology, I'm just interested because um you. Sort of, the, the Hyperledger positions itself in its messaging very much as for business. Um, so, why? I mean, firstly, well, I think I, I, I kind of I know personally why why you're why you're using those words. But I mean, what what does what does a business need that uh, other options don't have, and that you feel that Hyperledger is adding?
0: Well, it, I think it comes from this recognition that um, there are a lot of domains in the business world uh, that. Um, have needed a, a distributed ledger, but haven't really needed a cryptocurrency to drive that. There's a lot of transaction networks today, at the core of say how stocks are bought and sold, or how bonds are bought and sold, uh, where you know there have been you know market utilities companies such as SWIFT or DTCC uh, or industry organizations, like in the healthcare space, you have a standards body like HIMSS, but you have a lot of back office kind of companies as well. Um, But a lot of these situations where you have these hub and spoke networks, which even if they build on top of more distributed technologies like TCP IP and DNS and those sorts of things still at their core are about Kind of the 1950s, 60s view of networking, which is uh, that there's there's one rail, there's one backbone, and everybody has to plug in or plug out. Uh, and in some cases, those those rails are competitive and efficient and low fee. But in other situations, you have the parties in those networks going, we'd rather like prefer to figure out ways to tie directly to each other. And so, um, in more of a, a peer-to-peer setting and more of a low uh, cost setting. And you know, as an example, in the in the You know, wire payments uh, world, you know, sometimes it takes three days or up to five days for a a for a wire from one bank to another to clear, especially if it's crossing international boundaries. Well, that's because of a, a bureaucratic and paperwork driven process that, um, you, you know, accepted, accepted that, uh, as part of the nature of working in a hub and spoke network with a, um, distributed ledger with blockchain technology, you can get immediate confirmation or, or within a few seconds confirmation, uh, that a certain transaction has been recorded and the counterparty, um, risks are managed. So, uh, it it started out by these business use cases right but once you expand from there you start to realize that well to fix the mortgage industry you know a lot of people say what happened in 2008 was due to a lack of transparency due to a lack of automation um these are areas that that smart contracts distributed ledgers might have helped once you start to peel away at that you realize that well it would have required having the land titling system stored in a distributed ledger that record of who owns a house who has a lease on that house who has recorded a mortgage against the house and and then you open up this this can of arms, which is well if we can put the um, you know people's property titles into a ledger we can also positively affect their um you know some of the deep issues out there around um lack of transparency uh, in terms of who owns what uh, which is a big issue in the developing world in developing yeah I, i've
1: seen this use case a lot there's been a couple of um uh, land title blockchain based organizations projects startups whatever That have been especially working in the developing world, where you're starting with a slightly cleaner slate, I suppose. Um,
0: Yeah. So I think in much the same way that in in the early days of the internet, we had a lot of examples where, in even a, a given use case, there were positive uh benefits to, from a business perspective as well as from a social impact perspective around democratizing access to information acknowledging that there are downsides to that as well <laughs> uh fast forward 20 years to, to fake news um but uh, uh but broadly stated democratizing access to information was both an, an economic good and a social good um and you know we're trying to focus primarily on the economic benefits that come from deploying these technologies so that we get out there, so that we stay grounded in reality, so that, you know, the development can be funded by companies who have a real use to go and deploy this on. We're not a research project. We're not a what if or maybe someday, you know, our members are actually standing up POCs and pilots and, and in increasingly in, in, into production. And I think that'll be a big theme for us over the next year. And so it's grounded in that. But frankly, what gets a lot of us up in the morning is, is to work on this is the recognition this could have a positive uh, social impact as well.
1: Sure. So, just just digging into the actual uh, the, the the projects a little bit. So, these are all um, individual projects, or they're in, uh, or they're kind of a, a toolkit, or both. You know, if you need to use more than one, then they integrate together well. Um, but I can see, like, there's some here that have described the very specific use cases. Um, but then if you have a sort of more general, um, project or use case, then you might end up needing elements of a couple. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's very much a grab bag right now. And, uh, uh, these projects are still fairly early in their life cycle. Um, fabric and sawtooth and Aroha are three independent approaches to building a distributed ledger. Uh, and approaching the question of how to do smart contracts or, or automated um, types of functions on top of that distributed ledger. Um, uh, all three of them are on the, a glide path to a 1.0 release sometime in the next few months, uh, independently, of course, but just they happen to all be maturing at roughly the same pace. Uh, they have different sized communities around them, different ambitions um, uh, uh, and and scale. But you could think of them as comparable to the Linux kernel, the FreeBSD kernel, uh, (laughs) and maybe an an embedded RTOS kind of kernel, right? Um, uh, In that, you know, they kind of perform this operating system kind of function. Now, we, we created Hyperledger with this view that, the world was kind of unsettled out there around the best way to build these kinds of systems, um, you know, that that it may be something that looks more acid compliant, like, you know, uh, uh, like MySQL, or it may be something that looks more NoSQL like, you know, and more distributed and more, you know, eventual consistency like, you know, like Cassandra is. Right. So um, because of that, we've said, let's be a home for a portfolio of projects, some of which could be competitive with each other. Some of which may have overlapping functionality, and let's let's bring them in. Let's give them the same um, open source license. Everything's under the Apache 2.0 license. Uh, let's use the same community dynamic for development. So all code is written in the public. All the decisions are made in public. You know, if you are a 15 year old in Romania, uh, or you're a big company based in the states. You know, a developer working for a big company in the states, you have equal chance, equal ability. To become a core maintainer on any one of these projects right so this kind of radical openness radical transparency um, uh, is essential to making an open source project work um, and making sure that every one of these projects has that same uh, uh, you know characteristic is is what's going on here our premise is that if we do that and if we build Hyperledger as a community of these communities um, then the natural cycle of you know, kind of Cambrian explosion of lots of different ideas and then an eventual whittling down uh, of the the ones that are truly distinctive and truly uh, winning, um, uh, can happen within the, the hyperledger microcosm and simply it gets a lot easier. If everything's under the same license, everything is a part of the same community for code to be combined for good ideas to make it from one, uh, one solution to another. Um, and, and then for that, that whittling down or that, uh, or maybe it's specialization, you know, maybe all the projects stay alive, but they specialize in different domains. But this is a, a process that has to take place over time. Right now, we do leave it up as an exercise to the reader <laughs> to figure out when to use one or the other. Um, but we're getting better. And there are some projects that are very distinctive. Um, so, for example, Hyperledger Indy is an identity framework. Uh, if you want to build something that looks like a national ID system or or something that looks like a decentralized replacement for logging with Facebook or that sort of thing, you want to start there. Um, and likewise, if you are partial to the Ethereum technology stack, Hyperledger Burrow, is an implementation of the EVM, uh, which is the runtime, the smart contract runtime there, which we think is the most interesting part of the Ethereum stack. And so it doesn't have to be one versus the other. Hopefully these things are combinable in the
1: future. Sure. Let's actually just dig into this a little bit. This was kind of going to be my next two questions, but I think now we can tie them together. Is First, where where does Hyperledger fit into the kind of timeline of uh, the... The blockchain-related technologies. Um, where did you kind of come in the, the the yeah the the removing blockchain from just being about one particular technology that we all know very well. Um, and secondly, how does some of the the projects you have under the Hyperledger umbrella compare to? This is a busy space at the moment. There's a lot of people creating projects that do similar things you've already mentioned ethereum and i've encountered various people making kind of blockchain based databases and blockchain based identity projects and some come and go very quickly and some stick around and so sort of how do you see where you fit into the whole kind of ecosystem at the moment
0: well think of it as the role that apache played in the web i mean it started out right that people knew of apache because of the HTTP server that carried that name, but um, from, you know, 98, 99 onward, Apache became a home for a lot of technolo- different technologies that were related to building websites, uh, building uh, big systems, right? Eventually, it also came to include, um, work, you know, big data and things like open office and other things. But you know it, w- it wasn't just about a single monolithic uh, web server it was about running Java behind that running PHP behind that running Python behind that um, all sorts of development frameworks and in the web community yeah I mean we had some standards like HTTP and HTML which themselves also were under constant churn but there was never a need to converge on just one um, server-side programming language right uh, or just one um, you know even even just one data format right um there's a so uh so think of hyperledger similarly right there's um and another way that I've characterized it, right, is a lot of what's going on in the blockchain industry, because it's so young, is uh, uh, could be classified into three different buckets um, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, you can look to the way the domain name system evolved, right, as, as for comparison. So one of those buckets is standards development. And that's similar to what, like, the IETF does or ISO or others right now in the in the blockchain industry you kind of have what the what the Bitcoin developers do and decide to do what the ethereum developers decide to do um, but it's fairly chaotic out there right um, and while it's starting to con- converge you know I was really glad to see the enterprise ethereum alliance emerge because they are positioning themselves as a standards organization um, to try to standardize some of the enterprise side of those technologies Um Most of the time, you know, the the, the people are fairly weak there and we'll see, I think, the W3C and IETF, you know, start to have a role here, but we're not, we're not a standards body. Um, There's, you also see governance organizations out there that perform the same kind of role that, say, ICANN performs in the domain name system, Right where it's about um you know governance of a namespace governance of a running you know collection of systems and so you could think of the um, ethereum community and the relationship between developers and the miners uh in the ethereum community as kind of a governance model right uh or the bitcoin community and the way that they manage and largely that's about managing their crypto tokens right the and credibility in the BTC token, in the ETH token, and other things. So that's also something we don't do. We're, you're never going to see a hyper coin. You're never going to see us promote one specific network. We're building building blocks for people to go off and build their own networks, uh, largely on the premise, and I say we were very heretical about this when we first emerged, and I think it's become more accepted, that there will be lots and lots of these private networks, private blockchain networks, um, uh, that will tie together in some interesting ways. And ideally, they're all running um, from a small pool of similar software underneath them, so it's easy to stand up instances on these chains and have them talk to each other. But um, we're we're not about converging everybody on one global transaction rail, rail, right, uh, or one global transaction network. What we are about is code, about building implementation. And so, um, you know, focused on getting developers together to productively e- evolve, you know, these different projects together and make sure that every one of these projects is multi-stakeholder. Um, so that, you know, in the in the long term, when you look at fabric, you don't have to worry what's fabric's future if one or more companies decide to stop working on fabric, stop developing fabric, uh, or more importantly, you know, is fa- fabric just the product of one company's developers, one company's vision about how to do things? Um, no. The answer is even today with, with fabric, and this is um, a focus for us for all of our other projects, grow it beyond an initial contributor, grow it beyond any single vendor to make it really clear it's a multi-stakeholder project. And so I think those two things, the fact that we're about implementations and not about governance or standards. And then secondarily that we're about ensuring that these projects uh, outlive their original contributors, <laughs> outlive and and are are more solid than any one particular vendor. Those are two things that distinguish us,
1: distinguish us from anybody else out there. Uh, there's two things you said that I'd like to dig into a bit more. Um, I'll just come start first with the the way you sort of ended. When you're talking about um, uh, in, uh, going beyond individual contributors or individual contributing companies, I mean, this is obviously a, a very uh, – Wise thing to do in the open source world, but just out of interest, these various projects—do they all come? Do they all kind of form out of the same collection of people, or were they individual projects created by different people that sort of came together slowly um, or relatively slowly? Yeah,
0: no. Almost every one of our projects came from a different source. Um, I think the only true overlap is that um, composer and cello. Uh, both also started life as kind of internal IBM projects. Um, and IBM did contribute fabric um, initially. And, and uh, uh, the other projects have all come from other sources. Um, uh, Sawtooth came, uh, came initially from Intel. Uh, Burrow originally came from a company called Monax, uh, uh,
1: which used to be called Eris Industries. Oh, um, no, I know them. It, I interviewed them a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Eris Industries are involved there. And then Aroha came from, a startup in Japan called Soramitsu, who uh, have a real thriving business around this now. Um, uh, so, uh, so these technologies come from different places. Oh, and finally, Project Indy actually comes to us from another nonprofit called the Sovereign Foundation, which is establishing itself more like an ICANN-style governance kind of organization around a global distributed identity network. Um, and so there, the the comparison to you know we're the implementers they're the government they're the ICANN, is is much in much sharper relief um but but you know that is these are all just original contributions and we try very hard to make it clear that okay well, that's appreciated you know we presume that that's uh not the end of the story that that's the beginning of the story right and so we expect those companies and they have been to continue to be evolved but it also has to be clearly open now for, for others to come in and build their businesses on top of. And so we, we resist the notion that, you know, these projects are have any, you know, primary association with a given vendor, you know, on day two, right? It's not Intel's tattoo. It's not Monax's uh, bureau. It is... Uh, Hyperledger borough. It's hyperledger sawstreet. And, and 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 also we need to substantiate that and, and materialize it in the form of getting other developers to show up, making sure the world knows what to think of about these projects. And finally, I'll say our goal is not to be the GitHub of blockchain technologies. <laughs> you know, um, we want to cultivate a pretty rich, diverse portfolio of these different projects. I think I'm actually um,
1: almost, I, I interviewed um, last week someone from Cloud Foundry, and it almost feels a bit more like down that path, kind of this collection of recommended modules that you can build your business on and add your own customizations to it if you so wish. but that. That um, shared origin story at least kind of guarantees a certain commonality amongst them all. Well,
0: and we do a lot as well to, um, uh, we have a lot of cross cutting working groups and yeah. initiatives to try to, you know, at the very least standardize terminology. What does a transaction yeah. yeah. mean? What does a, yeah. you know, global system log <laughs> mean? I mean, uh, um, you know, if we can at least do that, we can help people compare, you know, apples to oranges and not apples to elephants. Yeah. Um, uh, And uh, but going forward, you know, there's common approaches to things like security to identity to um, uh, how do we measure performance and scalability So we have working groups on all of those that are cross cutting that involve developers from each of those projects, you know, and try to maintain a steady heartbeat of, you know, uh, addressing uh, helping helping the world understand how these are related to each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and different from each other. Uh, and they'll differ more over time. I use the metaphor of Darwin's finches on Galapagos Island, where yeah, you know okay. they all develop separate beak shapes to go and get different prey. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: so at some point, our finches will have different beaks, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd actually like to, um, the, the, again... A couple of questions ago, you you started going into an area that I wanted to to cover, which was this. So you mentioned a few, like IBM especially in there. Intel, I haven't seen so much in the blockchain space, but I guess they're involved. And there's a lot of kind of not just technology companies or actually not, not, not technology companies that you would immediately think of also getting involved in blockchain. So I've actually yeah. seen efforts from Bosch Um, And lots of the kind of logistics companies, companies now making IoT hardware, you know, there's a lot of great, fantastic use cases for blockchains, which means that lots of people are getting on board with it. But the criticism from the traditional community has often been that they're going to end up creating a lot of these kind of private blockchains, which defeated the Uh purpose in the first place. Um, right. And then some people also say that, well, they're public within the people who have access to them, so it's okay. You know, there's a lot of sort of discussion around well, this. But is is part of your intention to at least help some of these very enthusiastic corporates use some of the same tooling? So at least if they do want to have that interoperability in the future, it's possible instead of creating their own technologies.
0: Well, it, it was pretty clear to me even before I jumped fully into this that not everyone was going to jump on the Bitcoin train or yeah. needed to jump on the Ethereum train from a governance perspective and, and record transactions in a public ledger. I mean, for for the same reason why it's a really good idea that your refrigerator doesn't have a public IP address, right? Well, some um, of them will
1: do, so I think. But yeah. uh, well, and, and some of them have been used in botnets
0: regardless, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, it's a really good, like, good security comes in layers. Right. Oh. And there is one layer of security that would come from building, you know, a private system of record uh, with encrypted data, even on top of a public chain. But um, there's so many more advantages uh, from transaction costs to, tra- you know, transaction flow to simple security to be able to say, I've got a set of use cases here that require to participate in my network, require signing a legal document that binds you to a human governance model, right, that governs the sharing of data on this chain uh, and what you're allowed to do on the chain. Um, Mm. And, and that, you know, that doesn't mean that you never build apps that talk to the public chains at the same time. In fact, there's a lot of there's at least one really good use case for publishing checksums to the public chain of the state of the private chain so that you can always go back with high integrity and, and argue that, you know, an older transaction, you know, actually did happen on a certain date at a certain time. Um, uh, but, uh, and, that, and that the integrity of the entire chain is consistent up to that point. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why private systems of record are the rule today. Um, and, and why there's governance models around the participants in those networks uh, and we can debate how open those borders are. Um, There's nothing in this that says you can't have a private network of thousands of participants Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or even a network where the the ability to write is permissioned, but the ability to read is unpermissioned. Mm, If you think about it, the global domain name system is a permissioned write system. There's only a couple of hundred different domain name registrars who have the authority because they signed the. The, I forget what the name of that document is, but basically the agreement for how to manage the trademark issues and IP issues in the domain namespace, space. Um, those are the couple hundred entities allowed to add a new .com or a new .org uh, or set up a new TLD. Right? So governance models are the, are the way that society works, um, and it's an extremist view to say that the governance can only sh- can shift to an entirely digital or entirely you know algorithmic uh, um, setting. Uh, so so anyway, so, so these are technologies to build to build private networks, and sure, um, yeah. Yeah. just like Linux, you know, is used all over the the, the cloud, even for you know private websites. <laughs> uh, uh, this is supportive technology for being able to do this, whether you're building private networks or, or for some of these things, you know, for pu- they may be suitable for entirely
1: public right kind of networks too. We'll find out over time. You actually put it very succinctly. But, I mean, it's I suppose the the issue with a lot of these kind of, especially the the very open. Um, democratic, in in inverted commas, technologies that emerge often emerge from very idealistic positions and often that gets filtered after a while. But the the comparison you make to Linux is a very good example. I actually spent a lot of my uh, time with open source software and in the past I used to contribute to an open source CRM tool that was mostly aimed at non-profits. And, Ah. of course, we often discovered that it was being used by non whose opinions we didn't completely agree with, but that's 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 how it works. That's just what you that expect is, is going to happen. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, just bef- I, I've got one kind of tangential question I'd like to 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 ask okay. but before I, I do and that, I do, and I and I do think we only scheduled
0: thirty because I think I've got a. Oh, um, yeah. i got another call waiting for me. So okay.
1: one, or, one more question. Okay, then, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll stick to the tangential question then. Actually, maybe I'll stick okay. to the non-tangential question because otherwise it could go off too long. So just a wrap-up question then would be um, anything in particular that you want to make sure people know about right now? Any news, any recent news, anything coming up in the near future that you'd like people to know about?
0: Ooh, um, uh, well, uh, we could certainly follow up my, with email and 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 send you a couple of links of distinction. But I'm just I'm really proud of the three projects we've added recently: uh, borough. Indie and Composer, um, because these speak to three important, really important questions out there. Mm -hmm. How do we relate to the evolving public chain technology landscape? Uh, So that's Burrow with its implementation of the Ethereum VM. Uh, uh, Hyperledger Indie relates to this really serious question about how are we going to use blockchains to store PII? especially Mm -hmm. in light of things like the the GDPR coming into effect next year in Europe, you know, which will affect every business globally. Um, uh, And then, and then composer, which is how do we make all this technology more accessible to, uh, to the wider developer community. Right. Um, And, and so, you know, this is hopefully a taste of the kind of projects we'll have going forward as well, but, but this is, you know, an expansion that we're, we're managing carefully and, and we're excited about, uh these all three of these different projects
1: it was amazing to talk to you I could have talked to you about so many other things um, including past, present and the future and actually I, I should have mentioned at the very beginning i am actually got to dash off to a blockchain meetup here in Berlin and I would have loved to have spoken to you about what's going on in Berlin as well because there's a lot of uh, blockchain related activity but Absolutely. another time maybe another time. <laughs> always a chance for another thanks time very much time. for your time anyway and uh, yeah so excellent thanks. to talk to you take care yeah. thanks Chris, thanks Brian bye bye <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.